0: for joining this episode of Rights and Rhetorics, Double-Dutching Through Double Consciousness. I'm Chantel, and I will be joined by my wonderful colleague, Dominique. And during this episode, we will talk not only about Black girl magic as a perspective by incongruity, but also generative AI and how it broadens the field of Black girl magic as rhetoric. Welcome, And tune in. Take it away, Dom.
1: Awesome. So thank you all for joining this episode of Rights and Rhetorics, Double-Dutching Through Double Consciousness. So, Dom,
0: can you tell us what exactly is Perspective by Incongruity? And let's make it make sense as to its connection to Black girl magic.
1: I think basically to sum it up, Perspective by Incongruity is kind of this oddly juxtaposed symbol that influence audiences to have this new perspective by challenging their habits of thinking. Um, So I think we'll do this in our podcast because our podcast will apply Kenneth Burke's rhetorical theory of perspective by incongruity to the term black girls magic. Um, And then other related, related examples from a black cultural lens, we'll also dive into that. However, before jumping into our case study, uh, we would definitely love to discuss just how society in general has shaped our identification and how we socialize. So, Chantel, you, you talked about your journey earlier in your your intro, but I'm very curious how you have seen society change, you know, shape our identity um, and our perspective in just your everyday life, especially as a minister um, and you know, a mom and a black woman. I'm just I'm just very curious to see how you've seen it shape our identities.
0: Yeah. um, Excellent question. I definitely believe that dialect is a crucial and key component to how society shapes our identity. Um, Our social context influences how we use language and we have been socialized is to follow implicit social rules about how language is used. These rules might consist of conversation flow or how we interact with others. The way we use language changes as we shift among academic, professional, personal and civic contexts. For example, we've seen this directly impacted in the types of comedy content comedians put out now definitely social rules have influenced the way that comedians entertain some, some older people would even say that as time has gone, gone on, comedy has become more watered down because why people have had to adjust their language and the things that they present as funny or comedic because more social rules apply to what is acceptable in, in a dominant society.
1: I like what you said there. Um, like the, the language we speak truly influences like our cultural identities and our, our social realities. Um, I think I've seen where people kind of internalize norms and rules that help us function in our our, our, you know, our own culture, but they can also lead to misunderstandings when used in cultural context. Um, so for me, my dad lives in Savannah, Georgia, and you know, different parts of the world, of different parts of the U.S., they use soda and pop interchangeably when talking about a beverage, like something just as simple as that can cause misunderstanding and confusion, depending on what part of the United States you're in. So when I go to Savannah, you know, I find myself adjusting to saying soda, I mean, or pop interchangeably. But when I'm, you know, at a restaurant, people look at me crazy. i like, what are you talking about? What is pop? So I have to say soda when traditionally, I don't typically say that as a Midwesterner. Um, so I think, Communication accommodation theory truly explains that people may adapt their communication to be more similar to or different from, you know, others based on the various contexts and just really truly to be, you know, to identify and to try to fit in. You know, we, we shape and change how we do things, which truly brings me to the communication accommodation theory and how it's used to and it's, it's so prevalent in the black culture. Um, I think we see it when we show up in reference and code switching. In um, Wright's Chronicle of Code Switching, he mentions the tensions within like the Black ch- community and how people are of color typically grapple with the sense of belonging. Um, You know, growing up in a Black, as a Black child, you may experience the feeling of being unaccepted or, you know, and receiving the comment of, oh, you're too Black or you're too white or you talk white. Um, So for me, I'll just, you know, briefly t- 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 you know, touch on a, s- st- a story. Um, I grew up in private school and so, but I grew up downtown in, in you know, a fairly, the ghetto basically. And so I would go to private school and predominantly white and would, you know, learn everything. And then I would come back and basically have to code switch to fit in with my family and friends. And so sometimes I, I would be told like, Dom, you sound like white, you you know, you're talking white. And so that's that code switching that I had to start navigating at a very young age, like in basically second, third grade, you're code switching to fit in um, based on your different groups or your different places that you identify with. So those are some of the frequent microaggressions that are faced within the black community. And I think W.E.B. DuBose does, he researches this on the double consciousness that we find ourselves code switching. So that's part of why the title that we talked about is double consciousness, you know, where we find ourselves code switching, especially within the African-American community, which is the practice of alternating between two or more languages or varied, I mean, varieties of language and conversation. Um, W.E.B. Bois' Double Consciousness is a concept in social philosophy referring originally to the source of inward Um And it's basically experienced by African-Americans because of their racialized oppression in the white dominant society. So we oftentimes try to fit in.
0: Absolutely. I mean, though we didn't grow up in the same state or during the same time, you know, I had the same experience. I didn't go to private schools, but I did go to a public school that was predominantly white. But when it came time for me to go home and visit my family or go see my grandparents in Mississippi, they just I mean, they made fun of my brother and me like so much because of, quote unquote, we talked white or we talked proper. And that was honestly really damaging, but also it was very clear to me, like there were, there were rules of engagement around how you can have a sense of belonging and how you show up in your identity as a black person, uh, particularly in America. And for me, it was in the American South. And so when we're, we're, when we're in like those all white spaces, we, we tend to speak a certain way, uh, that make us seem more relatable or approachable. Um, I'm not saying that's a right or wrong with that is just the reality of our lived experiences you might witness code switching on the job at school or just out in the community Um, and it happens as a way to be accepted and be more accessible among the people that you're trying to relate to code switching can also happen when white people try to add black to fit in and hopefully be accepted so it's not just something that happens Um, that is not, it's not um, particular to just Black people. Everybody can code switch and feels the need to code switch at certain times. But the reason for for which they might code switch will definitely be different, I think, from um, my perspective as a Black woman in the South. So this lived example of both identification by socialization and perspective by incongruity. This this is what we've been talking about. And a lot of what Kenneth Burke writes about in his uh, book, A Rhetoric of Motives, discusses the links between not just identification by socialization, but also um, perspective by incongruity. I'm going to read a quote from A Rhetoric of Motives to make sure that we all understand how identification by socialization works. So Burke states, the individual person striving to form themselves in accordance with the communicative norms that match the cooperative ways of their society is by the same token concerned with the rhetoric of identification. To act upon their self persuasively, one must variously resort to images and ideas that are formative. And that's on page 39 of my of my book Um, that many people within the community of of black folks and cultural norms experience this moralizing process as a means of socialization becomes a necessary feature of that person's survival and success. For those who learn the intricacies of double consciousness, as we talked about earlier, as we practice using language to fit our various contexts, as seen in the phenomenon of code switching, we learn more about our own identity and capacity for meaning making in the presence of such incongruent lived experiences. So looping it back to perspective by incongruity, code switching is but one example of a way that someone, particularly for my case and for Dom's case, might experience perspective by incongruity, but also learns how to identify themselves um, by the ways that we're socialized to understand what is culturally acceptable in terms of the use of language. So that was a whole lot. We're gonna shift gears for a second and we want to bring up another relevant example, a case study to further express how perspective by incongruity shows up, um, particularly among Black girls, women, and women presenting people. One that immediately comes to mind for me is the phrase or mantra Black Girl Magic. Black Girl Magic rhetoric really exploded onto the public social media scene, I guess, in the last 10 years. I I don't even, if I had to pinpoint it down, I would say in the last 10 years. Um, This phenomenon really speaks to how counter-narratives are built, to be honest. So Black Girl Magic was this This force of nature, honestly, that came on, exploded onto the scene um, to basically up in the stereotype that black girls and women are angry and um, violent or um, just not worthy of adoration or praise. And it sought to replace it with new terminology that speaks to Black girls and women's unique traits and talents. Um, But where the perspective by incongruity comes in is here. In Black culture, one thing that we um, experience quite a bit is this understanding or this unspoken rule or maybe it's very spoken if you if you're a black religious person that magic is not anything that you dabble with like in my 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 home like my mama wouldn't even let me like read Harry Potter when I was growing up, because it was the devil's work, is what she would call it. It was the devil's work. Me too. My mom was
1: like, yeah, no, you're not reading that. You're not reading that. that. Because
0: because magic, for a lot of Black folks reared in um, America, was something to to be seen as negative. It had, you know, connotations of being evil, or being just, just negative, or, you know, something with the occult. It was not something you mess with. But here we see that... Um, beyond the dominant discourse in Black culture where magic is largely seen as demonic or um, unfit for religious people to engage with, we see within the context of the meta narrative or the counter narrative concerning Black girls and women being seen as less than or, or inferior that the term Black girl magic becomes somehow positive. Dom, what is your experience with the the term Black girl magic and, you know, say more about how it's, it's definitely an example of perspective by incongruity.
1: Yes. So I think for me, I I've watched Black girl magic become this movement that is saying it's okay to be a Black woman, you know, where we were typically viewed as being the angry Black woman or, you know, the, the negative, you know, Black woman. But I think black girl magic gave us a new narrative it gave us a new identity um, in society um that is just like it's okay to embrace your your awesomeness you know black women are one of the top educated you know people or groups of people in the in the united states but it's like lean into that lean into your excellence lean into your magic and for me it just opened doors to say it's okay to embrace your brilliance it's okay to you know it's OK to not be OK. I know I've, I've seen hashtags where people are like black girl magic, but we're, you know, working on my mental health. So it, it was seen as a way for me as like this way to just say it's OK to empower and, and be a positive for black women um, where we were typically seen and portrayed as being negative or being, you know, so-called ugly. I know the the one portrayal of, you know. First lady Michelle Obama, where they drew her looking like a monkey. You know, those types of things were also going on at the same time that this black girl magic movement was happening. And at the end of the day, you know, we still were like, hey, that's our first lady, black girl magic. We're watching her on the, you know, in the in the in the White House, killing it and, you know, doing everything to support her man and to support the, the country. So I think for me, Black Girl Magic was uh, you know, paying homage to the excellence that we have when we've gone through so much. Um, in the past and even still are, but it's just another way to say, lean into it, embrace your life, you know, embrace it and and just embrace your magic and embrace all the things that you've overcome because you are powerful. You are amazing.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, as we wrap up our short episode today, I think We can we can both speak to the ways that black girl magic allowed us room and space and language. Now that we're talking about language and how it shapes us, it allowed us room to really reclaim all of who we are, because even though even as we talked about, like the code switching and the double consciousness, right, like that, that was an experience. It's not always easy to navigate or fun, but I think the the grace that's in black girl magic is that it offers it offers room for all of us to be um, to, for all of us to belong in our fullness right so it's okay that Chantel is this gangly geeky nerdy black girl who used to be terribly skinny and talk with a certain proper accent that all of that was all of me and it was okay for me to be that Black girl at the time, right? And same for you, the ways in which it was likely difficult for you to go to this private school, experience this very incongruent um, life that you would see that the private school was offering you versus where you were going home to every day. The Black Girl Magic movement really gave you gave you a way to like reconcile those things, even though they were incongruent, to be a part of like the fullness of who you are.
1: Chantel, I love what you said. I have seen Black Girl Magic have a resurgence on social media lately, directly due to generative AI images. Now, don't get me wrong. I know the concerns around generative AI and the copyright piece. However, there is a positive side for users actually experiencing the generative AI images and how it promotes inclusivity and empowerment amongst the Black community. Using generative AI to empower Black girl magic consists of artists creating positive, supportive, and inclusive content that celebrates Black girls' and women's achievements, resiliency, and beauty. Now, many Black people on social media are still excited to see AI images years later. They, they love to see how AI is depicting and representing the black culture in in a, a new way that typically hasn't been drawn or imagined. For example, AI artists are creating images that help bring history to life. It's able to add more context to prominent historical moments that might've only been able to be seen in black and white pictures. AI can create images that are less popular for artists to draw. So for example, I've seen Photos related to black princesses and queens since the creation of AI. I've even read an article where an artist made a plus size black sci-fi female character, which is something that you typically do not see. Generative AI has been used to create images that can empower and develop a sense of belonging for people. And it has even helped spark another wave of black girl magic by adding more visual representation for the black women in the community.
0: You are so right, Dom. AI has created new spaciousness for the mantle of Black Girl Magic and provided iterations of fresh new perspectives on what it means to be Black in our various contexts. I would even argue that with the addition of generative AI to the already powerful Black Girl Magic movement and rhetoric, we are witnessing a new wave of Afrofuturism right before our very eyes. Simply defined, Afrofuturism is a movement in literature, music, art, etc., that features futuristic or science fiction themes which incorporate elements of black history and culture. To your earlier point, AI has opened avenues to unparalleled new terrains that create a sense of belonging for those who have been left out and locked out of fields dominated by whiteness and white maleness. Take, for instance, Iniko, a non-binary black music artist who recently released a song entitled Jericho. In the song, Aniko, whose pronouns are they/them, alludes to the biblical narrative of Jericho to elucidate how they are from an otherworldly dimension that is not bound or confined by earthly chains or barriers. They even allude to AI in the song's lyrics. Let's t- take a listen. i All right, y'all. So in today's episode, we've discussed some of the most sacred rights of black culture, understanding how language is used in various contexts, what it means to be black in non-black spaces, and how to reclaim our magic in the midst of oppressive ideas and ideologies about who we are. In much the same way, we've learned that code switching and moving fluidly between black or African-American vernacular English dialect and other forms of English that have been made normative as dominant modes of proper communication, we would argue that we have cultivated the art of double dutching between the multiple consciousness of life in our racialized and gendered experiences that this is linguistic double-dutching and that it is a rite of passage and a means to understanding the many rhetorics that exist within the lexicon of Black language, communication, and being. Stay tuned for our next episode of Rights and Rhetorics, where we explore how perspective by incongruity is present in the political sector.